keeping a secret safe with me One book of matches, two little feet Three billion stars light up the beach This war is alive, this war is alive Hello, hello, hello there folks This is the Strange Tonic Podcast Thank you for tuning into it I'm going to try and keep this intro short and sweet because I know I say this with every single one of my intros, but I feel this conversation is one of our best yet, and it's all about what you've all been dying to hear about, creeping fascism. Yeah, you know, it's fun, because fascism is fun. All the fun words start with an F, right? Like fact-free, all those things, but that's what conversation's about, and... Um, until Republican voters, you know, kind of kick this shit out of their own party. Feeling Michelle we're discussing fascism and how fun it is for a while longer because. Anywho, again, this features the music of our friends, Pan Astral. This is Seaside, their most recent single. Check them out at panastral.com, panastral on SoundCloud, panastral on iTunes, panastral on Bandcamp, and check out our show notes if you need more information. Not only on panastral, but on all the things we talk about here. If you've got anything that you'd like to add, send us an email to feedback at thestrangetonist.com. From there, again, more about fascism. Thank you. We are more than just happy, but maybe fanatical to have you listening to our fun conversation about facts. Facts free fascism? What? Fascism. Fortitude. Fascism. Fascism. And more fascism. Thank you. This world is alive. This world is alive. Devil fights for both sides Nothing here is what it seems Look into the mirror by the deep blue sea So I feel <laughs> And then of course, this is kind of what I've found to like have a couple of other people talk about the beach passing into structure week and everything that goes on because I feel like there's enough podcasts and stuff out there that are like they do a good job of breaking stuff down that we yeah. don't need to spend a whole lot of time doing that and it'd be better to like kind of I think do deeper digs into like history and maybe a topic of the week which is a sure. segue I don't want to get too <laughs> much into can't even call it shithole shutdown this time because it was something else <laughs> like i don't want to get too much into trump's terrible like capitulation speech where all he had to do to save face was to not do what he did and claim it was a victory for him and that you know he will get what he wants and you know basically claim yeah. that he has leverage um more what i wanted to get into is some of the response i've been seeing apart like from both uh you know the MAGA crowd is blaming establishment conservatives for a not getting this done when they controlled you know all three branches of government 
Uh-huh. Um, but B, for not stepping up and having their president's back right now. Oh, so now they're threatening more primaries, which a lot of uh, conservative pundits keep saying, well, that's why they're doing this. They're, they're not horrible people. They're just uh, doing these horrible things because they don't want to get primaried. And David French, around the time of uh, the elections back in November, wrote this long piece, which made a lot of people, including me, a little angry, which was saying that hey, you can't just because Trump's bad, you shouldn't vote against the Republican ticket, saying that you have to protect the good ones. And Mm. that's where I just kind of want to jump out and say, uh, especially with what we're getting into later, I'm not saying that if you're a Republican or you're conservative, you're a bad person and you defend all these vile, evil things. However, um, your party can't get rid of them because they don't try. Your party Mm -hmm. and its leadership rely on Sarah Palin, on Rush Limbaugh, on Ann Coulter, not only gin up support for what they're doing, but to kind of mask the fact that what most Republicans are doing is not serving them. Like, there's a reason that they did get that tax bill passed. And it's because Mm -hmm. that's what really mattered to them. Yeah. So you can say, oh, they're they're not really all about this xenophobic racist shit. They're, They're about tax cuts. Well, when they have to use the wall as a means to uh, get voters to go along with them, that's Mm -hmm. bad stuff that they need to stop doing immediately. And I don't care if it costs the quote unquote good one seats. They need to lose. They need to fix themselves and move forward from there and stop demanding that the Democrats do it for them. Another side to that is... I got, I, you probably were in the same boat, Michelle, but I got really sick of, you know, even people like George W. Bush coming forward and saying, oh, both sides need to work together and like yeah. both sides are to blame here. No, this no. is a bad, horrible tactic that the Republicans have been using since before Trump, where mm-hmm. because they can't govern and they can't pass bills because they generally aren't popular because they're mostly, you know, even when they're in the majority, are technically governing from the minority. Minority, yeah. Um, they should not be allowed to do this. And it kind of goes, as I said, this kind of all ties together to our larger conversation tonight. Really, they shouldn't be told, okay, well, Mitch McConnell, Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, have all used somewhat nefarious uh, means to get what they want. But now it's time to work together and it's time to go back to reestablish the rules and, you know, norms and mores that should govern our politics, which I guess high-minded speaking, that's good. But that's kind of how bullies work is they they need someone to stand up to them. And until you do, they're going to keep taking advantage of you. If it comes to this again and... Trump won't back down from this. The government should likely be shut down again um, if Trump wants to do that. If he wants to keep it running like it's supposed to, that's on him. But it's mm-hmm. on him and the Republicans. It's not on the Democrats to give anything up here. Also, I thought this was a uh, nakedly bankrupt point that uh, a writer for the National Review, which David French is a editor for, uh, Dan McLaughlin said that and Pelosi was giving the game away when she said the reason we can't give in to Trump right now is because we, we shouldn't allow this to be a governing strategy going forward. And he said that with the contempt that like she was giving like her whole thing away. No, um, government shutdowns and taking people hostage 
should not be a governance strategy. And what she's saying is absolutely correct, regardless of your party or political affiliation. So with that, that's all I really have to say on those two things. Uh, do you want to <laughs> add your two cents or bring up anything else that's happened in this? Uh... Or the, the last yeah. month? <laughs> yeah. yeah. God. Yeah. Uh, to, to your point about people talking about, oh, it's time to work together and to follow the rules. It's, you know, the conservative people in power right now explicitly got into power by breaking the rules mm -hmm. by not following the mores and the high ideals of just basic representative government um they got into power through gerrymandering and discrimination and um catering to their wealthy friends uh, who pay all of their um pay for all of their campaigning and stuff they're not serving anybody except themselves and other people like them who are not their <laughs> workaday constituents who keep voting for them um Ugh. it's it's for their incredibly wealthy and um, unfettered uh, uh basically they're they're blank checks uh so the idea that all of a sudden mitch mcconnell's gonna start playing nice with anybody is a complete and utter yeah. utter lie um and certainly trump himself i mean he he really has nothing going for him he's just trying to fulfill a campaign promise which is a completely impossible and he is the he is the only reason this shutdown even happened. What's even worse about the campaign promise is that if you believe reports that have come out from his campaign, the wall wasn't so much a campaign promise as a device to get Trump to remember to talk about immigration during his stump speeches because <laughs> he would forget. Mm, um, sure. So it's yeah, it's it's not even just a campaign promise. It's well, and he doesn't really, ha he, he has no plan for it. He just, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that's kind of why you heard it in his speech on Friday. I think he got upset and went off script because he believes what he believes because he believes it. And the fact that the rest of us don't is insane to him because, you know, he his world revol revolves entirely around what he believes at the time. Mm -hmm. So I think he just got mad, although the reports that came out of the White House again were that uh, he the teleprompter stopped working, so he just ad-libbed part. But Well, yeah, we I, all know he's a moron, but... <laughs> yes. Well, I think there was probably a lot of like closed-door talks that were saying, hey, if we can get this bill we got before, where he gets $25 billion for increased border like security and technology and apparatus and infrastructure and all that stuff without a wall per se mm -hmm. he can call that a win and they're going yes however he can't try to use it as a cudgel against us like mm. he kind of needs to go like i think what would have been best probably for everybody involved here is for him to go um you know basically say i got an agreement further down the road for more investment in border security and then kind of hope that his base sort of forgets about that and just kind of like let things die down for a bit uh he's i mean if he's worried about getting beaten over the head by the likes of ann Coulter, um then he, he's completely lost i mean sure like he's got that hard floor of about 30 percent and that 30 percent probably half of them are probably big ann Coulter fans Mm -hmm. But I think um, a lot of them just liked him for being a strong man. And as long as he kind of keeps up that charade going, 
Um, I think he'll be fine. I don't think he has to get his wall. I think this. Yeah. He can. He could have moved on from this and been just fine, but because he's him, he just he couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, thank God for that. But yeah. um, I mean, if we if we can kind of segue into from from the wall to talking about our main topic, absolutely, that you wanted to discuss. <laughs> I mean, so. I mean, as soon as you brought up Ann Coulter again, I immediately thought of her book, Adios America. Ugh, I didn't. I don't really keep up with her too much because she's this is not even terrible. a newer book. It was written several years ago, and of course, I've never read it. But just from the title, you can guess what the topic probably is about, right? About influx yep. of international peoples coming to the United States, especially those Americans. Yes, that's correct, especially uh, immigrants who are not uh, native English speakers or, you know, i.e. white people. Um, and, and so that, that base, that, that hardcore 30% base, the wall is so important because it symbolizes all of those ideas that Ann Coulter purports, that Donald Trump purports, that this, this ever-increasing uh, creep of new fascism around the world represents. It's specifically a national, ultra-nationalist point of view, and Trump might be an idiot, but he does speak very well to that base in the sense that he likes to use all the coded language to talk about how <laughs> white people are under attack mm-hmm. and uh, they need to make uh, themselves um, better established in the world once again. And uh, <laughs> another note on that is... Uh... Before we get too much into this, I want uh-huh. to state, to go along with what I said before, that um, if, if I can speak for both of us here, we're not saying uh, any of you that uh, are Republicans or vote Republican or consider yourself a right of center kind of uh, voter, that because of you know that, that makes you a fascist or being sympathetic to fascism. Um, I don't think Trump, for example, then again, I'm not calling you stupid. I'm just trying to use Trump as an example here. Um, Trump, I don't think, even realizes what he's playing with as far as the forces of fascism. I think mm-hmm. it's just he gets these responses and he goes, oh, awesome. And it mm-hmm. is because because I've this is how sad this is for being someone with a degree in political science. After I just I finished the Snyder book and then that... Uh, what do you call it when I texted you, Michelle? The one that like, kind of like the brief like guide to the book on tyranny lessons. Yes. And, okay. Yes. Uh, he he published on tyranny before he published the road to unfreedom, but the the basic map is is still visible in his his it's basically pocket like pocket sized book yeah. called on tyranny. Yeah. And then I just started. Let me pull <clears throat> this up here because I don't remember because I seriously just started on Friday started a book that is also about fascism, which has kind of been like, whoa. Uh, uh Uh-oh. Okay. (laughs) How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them by uh, Jason Stanley. And yeah, so far it's been like, what? Huh? And it's all this stuff you're like, that that sort of makes sense. But yeah, he talks about, you know, it's always the people are the victims and um, you a bunch of stuff, so I, I don't want to. So I, I should stop myself here, but I, I just wanted yeah. to say that uh, before we get too far into it, as Plato states, you know, he said thousands of years ago, 
The problem with democracy is that it does cater to a strongman because there's people that want this dynamic leader who tells them they can fix everything mm-hmm. to come in and fix everything because democracy itself is somewhat hard because it actually takes people being engaged and somewhat educated and seeking to be educated out as opposed to just go, hey, I want all the things I want. I don't want that person to get what I have. And I don't really want to work for it too hard because I've already worked hard enough. Yeah, absolutely. It is a lot easier to work alongside someone that you recognize yourself in than in someone that's different from you. Mm-hmm. Which is sad. But, you know, I suppose. Multiculturalism yeah. is hard. It's not easy. In Stanley's books, he talks about how like, that's kind of why there's always been in countries where you know, fascist movements have either taken hold or like are you know, mm-hmm. gaining grip is at colleges they seek to do, do away with multicultural studies women's studies anything that kind of uh mm-hmm. you know i.e hungary yep that's one <laughs> that's of the big a very, ones. very 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 current example <laughs> but where i guess where do you think is a good point to jump off into our uh i guess into more your expose of fascism and where it's at where it comes from and like sort of how it's affecting us right now, Michelle. Yeah, well, I I would say a a really good starting point is actually the article you sent me last week um, from the New York Review of Books, Mm -hmm. um, published a couple months ago by a very well-respected historian, Christopher Browning. And this article is free online, so anybody can go read it. And um, uh, yeah, so in The Suffocation of Democracy, he he, he is a historian, like, uh, you know, viewing viewing the world through a historian's lens. He's, he's kind of happening now a little bit in Europe, but mostly in the United States, kind of in contrast to the actual rise of fascism in the 1930s in Europe. And it's, I mean, it's a really good read, but most of his article is actually about how it's just subtly different. Because I, I think one of the most difficult things to think about when it comes to fascism is how do you define fascism? And I feel like it's one of those words, it's one of those words that at least from, from my experience as someone who has studied history quite a bit, but even thinking back to when I had just gone to college and had some of my first European history classes was it's a word that you hear and you feel like you know what it means, but when you try to define it, it's, you're using historical examples to define it because it's really, you can't define fascism as like an ideology. Mm-mm. In the sense that one of the main components of fascism is untruth. So that is true. Yeah. Uh, everybody who in history and now who was a supporter of fascism, you could lie and twist and change your, your point of view any which way you wanted, as long as your end goal of, you know, authoritarianism and ethnic cleansing was achieved. It didn't matter what you stood for, as long as those goals were being, you know, sought after so fascism is really hard to define <laughs> in that sense that's a and good so point. i think and <laughs> when, i think i go ahead i was just gonna say when your entire focus of your discipline as a historian is trying not only to say what happened but kind of like organize it into thoughts of why it happened mm-hmm. when you're analyzing a movement that itself is disdainful of the very thing that you're studying, which is history and historicity. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. That's like, exactly um... true. 
that's hmm. exactly right because it, history does not matter it's about this ideal that each nation is supposed to be a an ethnic nation and everybody within those borders is supposed to be uh you know of the same of the same lineage and history doesn't matter and all other nations are your enemy it's about racial war and superiority but how is that like a political thing that different nations all over the world and throughout time can like exist within or try to um you know try to fulfill or perpetuate so i think fascism in and of itself is like a, a tricky word i think it's the right word to use in a lot more cases than we are willing to admit yes but i also think like in our current day and age it's a word that gets bandied about quite a lot sure. and just like just like um how um saying well i'm not racist you're racist like that's a defense mechanism well i'm not fascist you're fascist it's, it's a defense mechanism um Indeed. so uh mark levin <laughs> when he was basically defending some more, well, kind of of Trump's fascist tendencies, was calling uh -huh. the people that were attacking him, or Trump, fascists. Like, yeah. good lord. <laughs> or was it was it Levin or was it somebody else that wrote liberal fascism? That like, was Jonah Goldberg. What? Jonah Goldberg posts just delightfully cute pictures of his dogs. So he, it's, it's hard to dislike him because of that. But, yes, the book, from what I understand, is he misrepresents kind of what fascism is and tries to tie it with you know well not like misrepresents what fascism is but also misrepresents what kind of socialism is and then tries to tie them together yes. but anyways right. yeah yeah and um and and just as an aside too, that book liberal fascism was written in what 2008 2009 i remember selling it at borders it, yeah and we all know that shut down a long time ago so yeah. it's been it, that book has been around for a while um but I, I mean, let me let me bring it back to Browning's article, because I think what he does with it is kind of interesting. So we all have this idea of what we think fascism means and where we see it kind of creeping up in the modern era. Many, many people have observed, oh, this is very much like the fascist, you know, the fascist movements of the 1930s. And Browning says, well, yes, there are some elements there. Um, so he kind of outlines some of the main points, like number one, is isolationism. Absolutely. So the 1930s, uh, at least in the United States, the phrase America first mm -hmm. <laughs> was used by a, a few political organizations um, back then, often tied to... Hmm. No, can you answer your own question there? Um. <laughs> I believe so. Yeah. Um, does is there do they have initials and is one of them a K? Yeah, all oh. the initials are oh, okay. a K, yeah. actually. All, right. <laughs> all three thought. initials are a K. So the KKK and other extremely anti immigration um, political organizations said America first back in the nineteen thirties. So they didn't want to have to do with anything in the rest of the world, especially letting people in who were fleeing from persecution especially in Europe um, and turning back, you know, later in, later in the 1930s, you know, Jewish refugees. Mm -hmm. So number one, isolationism. You can see that now. Um, number two, uh, tariffs and trade wars, mm -hmm. kind of going in hand in hand with that isolationism. My nation is the most important nation and everybody else. Uh, we're going to, we're going to fight over economics. We're being screwed over. 
which makes no sense because in the 1930s there was something called the Great Depression going on. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so why would you want to hinder um, improved economic relations around the world? But anyways, um, number three, uh, this is where it starts getting a little sticky. Um, his third point is how conservative allies of the fascist uh, movements in Europe back in the 19... 19- We're going back and forth. I know it makes doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but we are going back and forth between the United States and Europe a lot here. Um, but conservative allies of the fascist parties who didn't actually believe in the fascist rhetoric still were willing to go along with them because of short-term gains. And so mm-hmm. that's what makes us think now yep. of the current Republican Party who even though they've done a lot of shitty things in the last, like, I don't know, 20 years, 15, especially in the last 10 years to undermine concepts of democracy and representative government in our country. Once Trump became the candidate, Mm -hmm. a lot of GOP people fell in line. Yep. Even if they didn't actually believe in all of his bullshit, and they certainly don't agree with him that we should be friends with Russia and be buddy, buddy with Putin. Yet the GOP does not push against it too much. So Conservative allies allowing the fascist movements to kind of gain a, a broader footing. That's that's what happened. That's how Hitler became chancellor of Germany Indeed was Hindenburg and the conservative party of the Weimar Republic said, you know, we don't like how things are going. This guy is getting kind of popular. Let's just let's just bring him into the cabinet here. Let's bring him into our realm. Yeah. And we'll and try to control will be, him. We'll control him. It's all going to be good. Don't worry, guys. Yeah, that's exactly mm. how fascism <laughs> came came to be in Nazi Germany. Um, and uh, I guess the fourth major point that that um, Browning brought out that I caught in his article was basically talking about how the enemy that you want people to hate is more important than the thing you are trying to protect. So he brings up the example in France in the 1930s, people were more afraid of this political figure, Leon Blum, as he calls it, quote unquote, the horror of horrors. <laughs> Instead of him coming to power, power, people said, better Hitler than Blum. Yep. So it's better to have this fascist from a different country eventually take over our country than it is to have a socialist Jew in power because we are France and we are this and we are Catholic and we are not socialist Jews. We're closer to Germany and the white German people than we are. Exactly. With, with somebody who's a true outsider like Bloom. And that is not too different from how, and this is his argument and maybe we can argue about this, but I don't think he's wrong. Could that be something embraced by people who say, well, better Putin than Hillary? I think very much because so. Because they, they completely embraced better Trump than Hillary. Well, guess what? Who's pulling the strings on the Trump puppet? It was Putin. And we all know that now. So those were, those were his four main outlines of how what we see now is horrifyingly reminiscent of fascism in the 1930s. Very much so. And um, to your point, too, about uh, kind of you know, how it takes hold within a certain party. The more I've read about between Snyder's book and then kind of all these revelations that there's just all these people somehow, somehow 
tied to Trump that have been mm -hmm. caught up because they were basically so greedy that they're like, sure, Russians yeah. with nefarious ties, I'll take your money. I don't care like where it comes from. When you tie that in with a party that's going, no, 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 no. You can't limit ways for people to get money, to grow wealth. In particular, right. you can't limit wealthy people's way to grow their wealth. The well, free market. What happens when you have people like Trump and Manafort and Stone and Page and mm -hmm. Flynn who all have very deep desires to have wealth, but maybe not the actual ability to gain it? it like, Because, you know, Trump, uh, apart from his dad and then getting bailed out because he banks didn't want to lose their shirts uh he's got bailed very... out by russian banks yes um well he got bailed out by u.s banks at first who put him on an allowance but this is a whole other story <laughs> right yeah um, yeah <laughs> this... pre-apprentice days he it... was bailed out by american banks yes <laughs> this is defending people that they need this unfettered access to cash so it doesn't matter if they're going to foreign adversaries and getting money from people with ties to organized crime because, you know, everyone's in, you know, why should we have any sort of regulation there? And it just kind of ties itself into modern Republican uh, dogma. No regulation at all, even when it comes to foreign money. Um, mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong, like, just a quick aside, I understand uh, foreign money pours into the political coffers of people from both parties, and that should be curtailed heavily. Yes. However, it is kind of a good uh, demonstration of maybe the party is a little bit too willing to accept some horrible things going on. But um, no, I, I think you're exactly right with the better Putin than Hillary kind of thing, because yeah. as Snyder laid out in his book, and these things that, you know, you just talked about that happened in Europe in the 1930s um, and that Putin has kind of done in it for the past you know, 30, you know, 20, 30 years in Russia Mm -hmm. it, it taps into the same things here. I mean, there's the anti-immigrant thing. The fact that each of us have somehow been the victims of everybody else around us in the past. And we're, you know, we're the dead, or sorry, we're, we're getting taken advantage of deadbeats. Um, this now with the, I don't even want to get into this too much, but uh, <laughs> actually I don't want to get into this at all. But the latest flashpoint being that Gillette ad where Gillette is simply challenging men to get better, which there's, absolutely nothing wrong with that but it's being <laughs> lumped in with this crazy shit which we see uh from the american right which is happening in russia is happening in europe where mm -hmm. it's this defense of masculinity because yeah. masculinity is somehow it's under attack by you know feminist forces or yes. gay people or yes. immigrants like and I, so that's why I think you're, you're dead on there, where it's that's how these tie together, defending this traditional mm -hmm. patriarchal order. And this this white Christian exactly. patriarchal order. Yes, they. Yes, exactly. You make a very good point where it's hard to really define fascism mm -hmm. as far as like a political ideology, mm -hmm. when really what it is, is it's almost like defining an ideology that is lacking in really politics or facts or anything else other than mm -hmm. grievance, protecting fake history, 
and protecting what people believe is their place in the world. Right. And it gets worse, Noel. So. Yes, indeed it does. <laughs> That's why so, I was like, I'm going to have you leave this because just reading that book, I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I know. Like between Snyder's works and this Browning article, I'm like, oh man. Like, it's not going to have a pretty a pretty ending to all of this. Like, I I think there is hope. I think the United States will overcome this situation. But it's going to continue to be ugly and frustrating. And I just, I pray it does not descend into the horrible, utter um, genocidal chaos that fascism often does. So True. Um, and if I can add another thing... Um, thinking back to was it about this time last year was it maybe a little bit earlier when I read uh, Prof- Profiles in Courage? Yeah, it was around a year ago. Yeah. Um, so I was just thinking back to that. Whenever I talk about this stuff now, like with people who aren't like yourself or some of my other friends who know I'm not like, oh man, America sucks because of this. Like I'm not saying that at all. No. Or like I'm just I don't buy into this whole thing that America is immune to these things. Right. But thinking to Profiles in Courage, what I think about is that for a while, at least, you know, you and I both agree on this as far as history goes. Just because history is ugly doesn't make it bad. It makes it accurate. Like, right. It, and the more that you can kind of try and admit that ugliness and try and make it better, mm-hmm. I think bodes well for America. And America has done that. It's failed sometimes. And you know, yes. like what Snyder talks about is there's this move to go back to, you know, there, there's no point in making things better because they're always going to be shit or they're always going to be this, the way they are. Um, right. But we've had politicians that respect that democracy is difficult and the way to defend it against strongmen is to make sure that these things about democracy that we like these pillars of democracy that we know are important are defended even if it doesn't necessarily help you hold power or gain power Um, because democracy um, is so important. Our American democracy is so important that if you lose an election in the case of Republicans right now, if you get your asses handed to you and you have to redo how your party is constructed, that's for the better. It mm-hmm. may stink because you're like, oh, we lost elections or we're losing elections. For, like, No, this stuff, like, you need to recognize that, hey, we're on the wrong side of history here and there's some bad things going on. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, so Republican voter, if you're listening, this is again why I'm saying neither Michelle and I are saying that you're a fascist, you're a Nazi or you're stupid or anything. It's that... <laughs> It's kind of on, well, it's on us as Americans to police these people. It's on you as Republicans to police these people. And it's also on you to recognize when there's some nefarious things going on within your own movement. Mm -hmm. And the only way to kind of get that under control is to take take your lumps every now and Mm -hmm. then go, man, that kind of sucked, but we kind of needed that. Um, Yeah. Because we should should always be skeptical. We should always be questioning our leaders mm-hmm. instead of just going along. Cause right now it's just, it's, it's about winning, which is so lame. Like that's like, 
a hashtag. Yep. That's a meme. You know what I mean? Like who 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 set that up? How many years ago? Charlie Sheen winning hashtag yep. winning. Like that's basically the mindset that politics is still in, and that is awful. <laughs> that's how we are here now. That's where we're at right now. Is it still? So I, I made the point, and I didn't really explain it, but um, like the the Hitler versus Blum and Putin and Hillary, like that that whole comparison. That's where it's more important to point out who your enemy is than to yes. protect the thing that you say you stand for, which is democracy, and 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 the hypocrisy and the inverseness of that is horrifying and awful and. You know, we should reconsider that. We should. Yeah, we. Uh, there's a. I can't remember who it is, but I think it's just like listed as Sean or something on Twitter. But he's he's very popular, and he tweeted out something saying that if you have Republican friends or family members, you should stop talking to them. That's not mm. the case. That's not the case at all. Like, no. Um, no. Yes, we all. You know, we we both sides. You've got people that. Um, will readily engage in either Harper, Harper, yeah, um, <laughs> hyper tribalism or conspiracy theories or whatever. Uh, maybe don't talk politics with them, but you know, if you've got somebody that's kind of, you can kind of tell when someone's kind of curious. Like maybe go, hey, here is what I think. Here is why I disagree with you. And you can kind of talk politics that way as opposed to, like, coming prepared with stuff you've seen online or in memes that mm -hmm. is designed to shit on the other side. Because yeah. that that doesn't super help. Well, I do think it is important to uh, make sure that whether or not you're calling someone racist for saying something that is racist, you can at least go, hey, you understand why this is, could be viewed as racist, right? And I think it's important, too, for fascism to go, hey, um, I'm not saying you're a fascist, but this happened, <laughs> this happened in the 1930s in Germany. Do you see the similarities here? <laughs> um, I, I have a more. OK, so this oh. is anecdotal. This is anecdotal. But what? this did. I know. <laughs> I know. How dare I? <laughs> because I don't have enough examples of anecdotal history. Anyways, um, this happened this week. Uh, I heard a customer, uh, and they, how do I explain this without violating HIPAA laws? So. <laughs> <laughs> Always an interesting I, question. <laughs> know, right? So I overheard a customer and, uh, coming in to pick up their glasses or family members glasses. Anyways. They started talking to one of the opticians out on the sales floor and I just happened to overhear it. And what, what sparked my, like what turned my ears on was her saying that her daughter is currently living in Hungary. I don't know why. So I don't know if she's studying abroad or if she has a job that has, you know, temporarily placed her in Hungary. I can see but why she's... that would catch your attention. <laughs> yes, you could. Right. Yes. And so she was saying, so it, how do I'm trying to wrap this up real quick. So she said that basically the United States needs to look at Hungary's immigration policies because her daughter had to do 
however thousands of pounds of paperwork <laughs> to try and just get her work visa there. Um, that if it was that difficult to come to the United States, we wouldn't need a wall. And so we should be more like Hungary. And immediately in my head was like, if you knew anything about what's going on in Hungary right now, you would not want the United States to be like Hungary. No, not at all. At all. It's a fascist regime in charge right now. They are shutting down social studies in their universities. They lost their best university because of that. Yeah. I mean, I just, so to hear an American who thinks that we should be more like Hungary because of their immigration policies, it's like, oh, so the First Amendment, you don't believe in that then. So preventing people coming into our country, which, by the way, it is very difficult to get into the United States. It is not easy to obtain permanent residence here. I don't care what people say. But we are a very, very large nation. Therefore, we have more immigrants trying to come here. So to hear somebody say we should be more like Hungary made my stomach turn over. <laughs> yeah, I, would... I don't care if you're talking about Hungary now or Hungary 30 years ago. Either way, we do not want to be like the government in Hungary. And so for someone to say, oh, well, we could get rid of the wall if we just made it too difficult for people to come in if we were more like Hungary. It's like, yeah, not many people flee to fascist states. They flee from fascist states. Of course we wouldn't have an immigration quote-unquote problem if we were fascist. That's the whole idea. That's one of the whole ideas behind fascism. And so the fact that I heard this in my office three days ago, I was like, oh, I got to tell Noel about this. (laughs) Well, okay, forgive me if I'm wrong, but however... Uh, okay. <laughs> it does remind me of having a conversation with someone at good old borders back around mm-hmm. the time that Obama was elected. And this uh, <laughs> seems weird. Um, anyway, so she was sitting there because she, she was like, oh, so you study politics. I'm like, mm-hmm. And at the time, this was like right as I was finishing up my undergrad and we had this conversation. She was, and I was studying um, a lot of like kind of post-World War II political history in Eastern Europe, and but just Europe in, in general. Europe, yeah. So she was like, what my husband thinks that we should do to solve the problem with Mexico, which I was like, problem with Mexico? <laughs> Question mark? Yeah, what? Like, <laughs> like I, I get it. Like people, illegal immigration is apparently like the worst thing ever. Um, but problem with Mexico? She's like, yeah, he says that we should just annex Mexico. And I looked at her for a second. She was like, is that a bad idea? It was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> uh, it would not do what people think it would do in the short term. If that's yeah. what you're asking about. Uh, Cause we had just studied kind of what happened when uh, Eastern and Western Germany were re- reunited and mm-hmm. how for a long time uh, you know, people in Western Germany were like, fuck this, this is stupid. And people in Eastern Germany are like, this is fucking awesome. Like, right. now we have access to, you know, uh, actual working government and stuff. <laughs> it's like... Right. Uh, and jobs. Yep. And, yeah. And technology that isn't 30 years mm-hmm. old. Like, Right. So, yeah, when she told me that, I was like, um, to her credit, <laughs> she listened to me. But yeah, okay. she must have seen a look at my face like, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> And I, 
I don't bring up Hungary just to like shit on that situation. Like that is a very like difficult yes. and horrifying situation to be in when education is being limited because of the topics it's covered and free speech is being limited because of who is in power. Yep. Like that is a terrifying situation. Well, it's, it's therefore should yeah. we, we should not <laughs> want to emulate that. <laughs> Oh yeah, I don't and care uh, what you think is wrong with America, but we should not emulate that. <laughs> where did one of Trump's initial foreign policy advisors go to school and live for a long time? Oh, where no? Hungary. That's right, Sebastian Gorka, or a weird James Bond villain meets Steven Seagal impersonator, <laughs> uh, who, despite being. He supposedly has a PhD, right? <laughs> I don't know. But has <laughs> I like that you say supposedly. <laughs> from what I've read, allegedly uh, he has a PhD. Like, he hasn't like submitted any work that has been like available for peer review. Okay. And so it's like uh, he's not really an actual academic, and he's got he's got a graduate degree of some sort from some school. Let's keep going. We're at fifty-one minutes, and obviously there's some stuff that's gonna be cut out. So. Okay. Let's. Uh, sorry, I shouldn't cut you off. Then. No, <laughs> no, no. Going. You're fine. So, I mean, Browning's article. So we've kind of gone over like, and these are four points that I pulled out. He goes over more stuff than this, but we've gone over the four major points of similarities between now and fascist movements in the 1930s. So, how is now dissimilar from the 1930s? That's that's what most of his article is really about, mm -hmm. and I think it's um, like I said before, it only gets worse. <laughs> so, yeah, in some ways. So, his his main point um, of how, at least in the United States, politics is not quite like fascism in the 1930s is the concept of illiberal democracy. And that I think that's a really important thing to point out. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so, and one of the major problems with how to deal with this, like, lean towards the far right currently. So, you know, in the 1930s, you knew who the fascists were because they called themselves fascists. They're like, yeah, we're totalitarian. All the enemies should die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like... <laughs> They were pretty overt in a lot of ways. Um, and right now in the United States, illiberal democracy is like the coded language used by Trump and his GOP cohorts and mm -hmm. um, kind of the, you know, <laughs> basically how they were able to uh, hijack the Electoral College and turn it into an unpopular election. Um, so basically like right now, illiberal democracy, like that is the concept. It proves that you don't have to have like total authoritarianism to stay in power. Like you don't yep. have to be quite as strong and, or overt or violent or whatever you want to call it, um, that there are weaker systems you can take advantage of. And so you can just stay in power without having to like mm -hmm. arrest, arrest everybody that's not in your party. The very basis for the term a liberal democracy is that it is no longer the rule of the majority or the will of the majority. It's mm -hmm. the it's being ruled by the minority. So therefore, it's kind of it's a democracy, but without the features of typical democracy. 
Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. But yeah, that's that's exactly right. And and to follow up with that, like his second point, um, without that like blatant authoritarianism, uh, you know, the fascist regimes of the 1930s uh, basically took over or created all of uh, you know state-run media. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't have to. <laughs> Trump didn't have to. Nope. Fox was like ready to go. And, it, you know, in all of the bullshit that the Fox News, Fox Media Corporation has put over, put out over the last, like, 10 or 15 years, it really got a lot worse, wouldn't you agree, when oh, Trump yeah. became the official candidate? And they were willing, ready and willing, with private money, to just go along with all of it. What I think is so odd, too, is that Ailes the late Roger Ailes tried to at least keep up this facade that you know, it wasn't a propaganda network. And mm-hmm. then because Ailes had kind of gone against Trump to start with, and then when it appeared, mm-hmm. it was inevitable. And this is, I, so if he wasn't such a dangerous person, I'd be so interested to figure out what in the hell Steve Bannon thought that he had learned from all of, because Basically, from what I understand from Steve Bannon is he has this kind of like pre-World War One view of the world that, um, you know, he could have somehow prevented it, which blows my mind. But anyways, um, after it became tr- like obvious Trump was a front runner, Ailes kind of fell in line, but not yeah. to the point where it is now. After Ailes was pushed out and you know, actually that died. 17? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Fox has gotten worse and it just gets worse with every day where they're actually somewhat mocking uh, their own viewers for not caring about stuff that's very important that's happening in front of them. Uh, I also wanted to point out too that uh, it should be noted that publications like The Federalist uh, and Ben Shapiro, The Daily Wire, stuff like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. these are publications that are not traditional media outlets where they're either uh, privately owned, publicly owned, or owned by like a, you know, kind of a capital management group. Mm-hmm. They're basically run by a group of billionaires we don't really know about. Right. So uh, <laughs> this is just a quick aside. I wanted to point this out and also kind of give a shout out here. Uh, the podcast "All the President's Lawyers" is fantastic. <laughs> it's thirty minutes that one. <laughs> each week. Uh, it's Ken White, who runs a legal blog, also who is a former United States attorney, has argued for the Supreme Court, works as a uh, current attorney out in, uh, defense attorney, constitutional lawyer out in Los Angeles. The host is, uh, oh no, I'll put this up there later because I forgot his name, but um, <laughs> it's from, I think, WNYC, a public radio station out in uh, New York. Um, he also hosts their podcast, Left, Right, and Center. And between the two of them, it's very, like, very incisive, very insightful. And they're both really funny. But the main thing is just how Ken White is able to put all of this legal stuff that's going on into really just easy to digest, kind of like, okay, so this wasn't that big of a deal. Or this is just, you know, basically judges are people too, prosecutors people too, defense lawyers people too, while still making fun of people who deserve to be made fun of. So... There was one podcast where he was lumping in uh, the kind of input that Reddit commenters have 
with what is being posted by the Federalist at this point. And the Federalist is a blog that portends to be a serious political site um, that's about all these things that you know, they're dialed in and like they're solidly conservative. But no one apart from who works at the Federalist knows who the hell funds it. Right. And so it's 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 awful. And the Federalist has if if it's if it's possible, think of Fox and Friends, but trying to appear smart but still being stupider. That's the Federalist. <laughs> um, so so I just wanted to kind of throw that in there um, so people could listen to uh, all the president's lawyers and also be aware that because I can't say this enough, the Federalist is a junk website. I think at one point it had some serious writers on there, but it's terrible now. Yeah. One of the people who runs it is also Megan McCain's husband. So, oh um, my, yeah, it just kind of shows how pervasive those forces are within the Republican Party. But I'm sorry, Michelle, go keep going. I just want to throw <laughs> it in there. Fine. It's all good. So, <laughs> I knew the media like bullet point was going to get your heckles up. So yes, it's yes. fine. <laughs> so <laughs> point number three <laughs> for how currently is not quite like the 1930s fascism is uh, the eroding judiciary. Hmm. I almost couldn't say that, which is a very interesting point. So, you know, a fascist regime comes to power. They just fire all the judges or throw them all in jail or, you know, whatever works. Yep. Right. Well, this is something that, like, predates Trump. Mm-hmm. How's that? 15... <laughs> so this is building, this is <laughs> fascist ideology being built upon the work of the GOP over the last 15 years. Mitch McConnell! Hmm. What? Exactly. Good old Mitch McConnell. That, and that's even in my note. I said, here's my note, guys. Already a disaster, thanks to Mitch McConnell and Citizens United. Yep. That was that was the notation I made reading his article. So basically, the Supreme Court of the United States, which in a lot of ways we rely on for turning points in history, you know, arcing towards greater justice and equality. Uh, yeah, they're epically failing us <laughs> over the last 15 years. And that is in large part due to just the regular conservatives and the GOP in our country. And um, they're taking further advantage of that uh, with Trump in office and the Gorsuch uh, bench stealing. And I still can't believe Kavanaugh is a justice. Yeah. It's, like, it's so upsetting. It really is. I just, uh, it's just, like, despicable. Um, so anyways, a judiciary that is does not provide a good check and balance against problems stemming from the other branches of government basically the supreme court right now as it is we really can't count on it to protect democracy um which is uh you know pretty sad <laughs> and nobody yeah. did it except just like a regular party this isn't like a fascist regime coming in and changing all the judges this is just like the quote-unquote normal realm of politics. It just so happens that we have Trump in the White House and the GOP in charge of everything. Um, okay, so that's pretty disheartening. I'm moving on to point number four. And this is my last point that I took out of Browning's article um, comparing the United States now to fascism in the 30s. 
we don't have a, a really nice um, support system or unions for labor parties or labor workers in general. So this was something in the 1930s that stands out because unions were, at least in the historical trend, were kind of a newer thing. Um, and, you know, labor unions tended to bend towards socialism, sometimes communism, but not always. And so we basically have no organized labor systems in the United States as of now. Nope. That was all kind of broken down in the 70s and 80s. So workers, meaning regular people like us, Noel, <laughs> I don't know if we would ever qualify for unions in any capacity, but basically just regular workaday people don't really have the voice that they used to have, um, at least as far as protecting rights and making sure that people have adequate health care and vacations and maternity leave or paternity leave. We've never had that. United States. So that's something else that really stands out um, from the fascist movements of the 1930s is that they had this massive enemy of organized labor against their goals and their ideology. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is just one less, uh, I don't know what the word is, like a uh, hindrance <laughs> towards <laughs> one less obstacle to get past. <laughs> Yeah, we don't have labor protections in this country the way that a lot of other places have had for the last hundred years. It's true, and they that's another reason why they stacked the courts where they do. The reason why they got mm -hmm. not just uh, Kavanaugh on there, but Gorsuch is to... Mm -hmm. um, Gorsuch especially. Gorsuch yes. especially. Um, one of the things that I guess I had suspected but didn't fully know before I did that uh, podcast with E was that it's a pretty well-known fact amongst the legal community that basically groups, like basically political groups, will hold off on filing lawsuits and uh, basically legal proceedings until they feel they've got a judge or a court that mm. will side with them. And I sure. think that's what we've been seeing now because there's, you've noticed there's a lot of either uh, cases that the Supreme Court's taking up or is refusing to take on. And it's like, yeah. it's a bunch of shit where it's, oh, they're really hoping that this was a conservative stack court to do so. I, I wanted to follow up briefly, though, with uh, what you said about McConnell and Citizens United, because okay, he's a cynical piece of shit and it should not go uh, unnoticed. Uh, my friend Ben pointed this out to me earlier this week. Uh, McConnell's response to a, well, he, he blocked a amendment in the uh, Senate that would have allowed for campaign finance reform. And um. he had this to say, I have to say it's a little disconcerting to see the Democrat led Senate focusing on things like reducing free speech protections for the American people. This is what they chose to make their top legislative priority this week, taking an eraser to the first amendment. How disingenuous and awful is that? Oh, wait, that's right. It's Mitch McConnell. So it's everything it's you an expect. In, yeah, it's the inverse of a truth. Yeah. Like he took a truth and he turned it around. I'm not racist. You're racist. I'm not fascist. You're fascist. I'm not against the First <laughs> Amendment. You are. You say we'll get into this more the more we dig into fascism because that's so far in that book by Stanley. Nothing has blown my mind was just like a way to basically further 
the fascist foothold within governance yeah. is to always claim the other side's doing what you're doing, whether it's free speech, whether it's just all this shit. As, as you said, my tackles <laughs> went up around the media like, ha! Uh, <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah, it's just, it's, oh, he's so bad. And this is going back to my earlier point from the beginning of the podcast about why Republicans, you guys have to fix this. McConnell, I know there's a lot of um, Democrats who don't like Pelosi. And I, I think in that podcast we did what, a year or so ago, Michelle? <laughs> you and I are basically like, hey, that's Pelosi. probably not justified. Like, uh, <laughs> the stuff that you guys probably think you don't like her for isn't the stuff she actually does. Like, right. Yeah, she tries to get her uh, caucus to vote in unison, but she mm -hmm. also defends their ability to actually do what their constituents ask for, to allow mm -hmm. constituents to be more centrist if they want to. Which well, is a good thing. Um, well, that was was that the same podcast we picked on Gloria Feinstein? It probably was. It probably was, but no. More recent point. Notice a lot of the new wave, like social democrats who have been elected to office, and they all said they were going to vote against Pelosi. Mm -hmm. They all voted for Pelosi. Yep. And, and nobody's griping about their uh, congressional committee assignments right now. Ain't nope. nobody griping because they get they figured out she knows how to get shit done. And so this is where, like, I'm not going to say, like, that's what I was trying to get at. If <laughs> there's any sort of, like, equivalence between Pelosi and Mitch McConnell, yeah. it doesn't go very far. No. She <laughs> empowers the people within her caucus. He basically beats them into doing what probably... Not what he wants to do, but what he thinks will allow them to maintain power the best. Right. And that is by making sure that the Ted Cruises within his caucus are elevated. Even right. though no one likes Ted Cruz. Including Mitch <laughs> Nobody, McConnell. Including Mitch McConnell and including every single person that voted for him. Yet, True. They I still mean, voted for him. Yeah. I mean, for God's sakes, as much as we hate I hate that's I shouldn't say that as much <laughs> as we dislike and everyone should dislike Tom Cotton. Tom <laughs> Cotton was one of the few Republicans that broke with McConnell and friends, mm. including Mitt Romney, to vote against basically removing sanctions from a Russian oligarch with ties to Trump. Yep. Um, now we're getting way off topic, though. <laughs> Who would have thought? Um <laughs> Okay, but yeah, we'll, uh, oh, one last little political point regarding both, I guess this could tie into both what I was talking about Republicans earlier and fascism is on Twitter of all places, I thought I saw what was a great point sometime in the last couple of weeks where, I don't know if it was, it was some conservative that was, you know, a never Trump conservative bemoaning the loss of the politics and, you know, the <laughs> lionization of Ronald Reagan. And what this mm. person added, and I thought it was quite correct, was that, no, a lot of this ties into the election of Reagan when Republican voters decided they wanted a mascot instead of an actual political leader. 
And thinking about that, and thinking about pretty much with the exception of the late George H.W. Bush, I think that's kind of been their M.O. for presidents since then. Mm. George W. Bush, who I've... Would you say I've defended him on, on here before, Michelle, or just kind of been like, I don't think he's that bad, guys, um, or at least try to humanize him? What, what, what yeah, I, I, yeah, I would say somewhere between defending and humanizing. Okay. Um, but he was and remains not the smartest guy and was not committed to really focusing on how policies really affect people. He just wanted to get his policies passed because he thought they would, well, he wanted them to do what he thought they would do, whether or not that was the case. Um, and now Trump, who, if there is not a better mascot, because he is a carnival barker. Mm. That is, and even his supporters keep saying, well, you can't expect him to know the finer points of things because he's not smart. He's a guy that gets <laughs> up and talks and he sells things. He knows business. He negotiates. Like all the things, but someone kind who of. understands policy. So right. I just kind of wanted to throw that out there because I thought it kind of tied into, hey, guys need to fix this combined with, hey, uh, your party right now is kind of going for people that uh, are claiming to have easy answers because they're strong men. Here's the guy. It's the guy. Stop it. But from there, unless you have any more, to, you think you want to talk about in the uh, Browning piece? Nope. Okay. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll continue more next week on our deep dive into fascism, American fascism, all that stuff. Which I, I think uh, I don't know about you, Mish. I, I like this a lot because it's it's really just like I feel it's a way to both talk about politics that's happening right now, history mm-hmm. and political theory, which I think are things we all enjoy without having to just recap every stupid thing that happened each week, which is just entirely yeah. too much to handle. Um, Absolutely. Man, I hadn't thought this. Like, I, I have talking points in front of me, but I don't know if I actually have a good thing of the week planned out. So, mm. do you want to go first on that front, or do you want me to maybe kind of uh, see if I can think something up? <laughs> I'm not sure I have a good thing of a week either. Um, mm. Let me think for a second. I'm I'm gonna be a sappy political say. say the temporary ending to the government shutdown. Like there you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna take that one off the table. That's good. In fact, I'm gonna follow suit, and I only thought of this because of what you just said. I'm gonna go with uh, Bennett. Uh, just stand because he hasn't really. He's not known for this, but Michael Bennett standing on the floor of the Senate and oh. going after Ted Cruz for Ted Cruz's blatant hypocrisy. Right. And, um, you know, Bennett was absolutely right. I wasn't living in Colorado at the time, but there were horrible floods going on. Remember, just you know, they not only just they took out sections of fucking road, which yes, it takes a lot. But yeah, people died. You know, businesses went away. Uh, mm-hmm. I know. Um, my dad and I, he he sold it around that time. But we owned a rental property in Colorado. And 
between the shale boom and the flood, it made the property that much more valuable. My dad was able to sell it for uh, not much of a loss, considering that we bought in during the housing bubble. Oh, and okay. Sold after it blew up. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, so that I'll post that in the show notes too. It was it was it was good. I mean, whether you want to say that Bennett, who for me, um, I, th- I think I've talked about this in the podcast before, was uh-huh. not Bennett was not my preferred candidate when he ran for the Senate at the time. Um, okay. He has not been my necessarily favorite because I think oftentimes he used to work for uh, crap. This is how long I've lived out of Colorado. Is that the Anschutz family? That sounds right, but I'm not positive. Um, isn't that the family that owns like Quest or whatever? Um, anyways, so like I, I kind of felt that he was too in touch with the DNC's corporate masters and not so much the other side. If you know, actually improving people's lives. So uh, I don't I don't think that Michael Bennett was doing this for political gain. I think he was honestly like seriously Ted fucking Cruz. Yeah. Get in front and go. I think it's wrong. I can't do a Ted Cruz impression right now. Um, And um, (laughs) I think it's wrong for the Democrats to shut down the government because they don't like a politician who's in office. Like seriously, Ted Cruz, seriously. The guy mm-hmm. who shut down the government because you were trying to get Obama to ditch Obamacare after it had been passed and right. defended by right. a court at that point. Yeah, I'm, him shouting on the on the floor was that was it. That was definitely a highlight. <laughs> commented about this to somebody else that uh, I wonder if bearded Ted Cruz <laughs> is hoping that his beard can oh make God. people forget the past sins of non bearded Ted. Oh, is that the strategy? <laughs> I don't think it's a strategy. I think he's a psychopath. But good thing of the week, Michael Bennett yelling at him and people from every side that I saw on political Twitter making fun of Ted Cruz for that was uh, was pretty good. Because Ted Cruz, I, I, I hate to combine a good thing of the week with someone being a bad person, but Ted Cruz cannot be held account held to account enough or how terrible he is. So agreed. With that, I guess we'll sign off. This it's funny. Sounds good. This wasn't the darkest of our podcast, but it wasn't no. the lightest either. <laughs> um, which I guess kind of makes sense with fascism and everything. But at least right. it wasn't the one that uh, I de- I didn't delete. I still have it. Just never posted it when like you and I were like, God damn it! <laughs> Where we're like screaming yep. the whole time. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> yep. I'm going to have to listen to that just for kicks again. <laughs> you should. Why not? <laughs> All right. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks,
secret safe with me. 